Today's guest on the Half Hippie podcast is an expat living here in Portugal like me. She is an entrepreneur, a florist, a digital nomad, and a teacher. She is actually a hippie who hates hippies. She cracks me up so much. I think you're going to love this conversation. It's so funny. She's the founder of Frolic Blog and Frolic Flower School. And she's got a book coming out in the spring called Field Flower Vase. So we're going to talk all about flowers because flowers are proven to boost your mood. And I hope our conversation boosts your mood as well. I'm so honored and excited to introduce you to Chelsea Foose. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess, cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box, and you don't either, but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. All right. So where are you here in Portugal? Um, so now I live near the coast, near Cascais. Um, okay. I came to Portugal, um, oh my God, six years ago now. In January, that was the first time I stepped foot in Portugal. And um, so I've lived probably seven or eight different places <laughs> um, in that time. So oh, wow. I, I sort of like, because I came here kind of when I was doing this like nomading thing. That's awesome. So what brought you here? Like how did Portugal get in your mind? Well, I, um, in 2014, I sold everything. Um, I was living in Portland. I sold everything and I came to Europe and I only had plans for one month, but, um, I knew that I wanted to eventually live here, but I, I didn't know how that would play out. It was one of those things where I just took a leap of faith and, it's like, what am I doing? But um, I decided to go work on organic farms. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I had plans for a month in, in Brittany in France. And um, then from there, you know, ended up at different farms. And then I wasn't always at farms. I was kind of doing the digital nomad thing in combination with working on organic farms. And um, that December, so I left in June of 2014. And then that December, I was in England. Um, one of the families I had stayed with and worked on their flower farm, um, I really hit it off with them and became really good friends. And they are from South Africa and they needed me to come and they asked me if I wanted to come house sit um, <laughs> or farm sit for them while they went oh. home to South Africa. So I was there with a friend um, farm sitting in their beautiful flower farm in the English countryside. Um, but it was, you know, it was England in the winter and cold and rainy. And I thought I want to go. <laughs> yeah. So like next I want to go someplace um, warm and like someplace South. And I didn't know a lot about Portugal, but it had been on my radar in the past. Um, and it had been someplace I wanted to go. 
But I was also looking at Croatia. Uh huh. Yeah. It really kind of came down to like where I found an apartment, and yeah, um, I spent like a week researching. That was one of the things about like being a nomad that I never realized I would spend so much time researching. Like, where am I going to live like in two weeks? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent like a week researching, and I found this gorgeous apartment um, in Beja, actually, um, which is a city in the Alentejo about two hours from Lisbon. Okay. I don't Yeah. So I just showed up there on a whim. I mean, this was a total whim kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember the, the apartment owner, I just had a good feeling about him. He was really nice. And he picked me up at the train station and I didn't know anything. Like I even said like gracias when Uh when he helped me with the luggage and he's like, this is not Spain. This is Portugal. That's not how you say it. So um, anyways, I just kind of showed up here really naively and um, Beja was actually a huge culture shock for me. Yeah, Um, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, because it's very different there from Lisbon. Um, But I also really fell in love with it. I really kind of connected with the people. And after being in the north of Europe, which I love, and I had always wanted to move to Sweden, but I'd spent months there mm-hmm. and um, never really found people to connect with. And so I think that was one of the biggest things about Portugal is just um, that people were so open and kind mm-hmm. and that they do have, I mean, such incredible language ability. <laughs> and so it <laughs> yes. makes it really easy for people who speak English. Um, anyways, that's it's true. Getting too long-winded, but yeah. No, but what a life. That's awesome. That's so fun. Sometimes you just wake up and it's like, wait, how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm having some of those moments now. Looking back through photos, I'm like, oh, wow, that was my life before. And this is my life now. And it's 100% different. <laughs> right? It's so crazy. And yeah. Um, yeah, you really can change your life with with one decision. And I mean, that doesn't mean that it's always easy. And there's always going to be pros and cons and trade-offs, right? Yes, for sure. Oof. But before that, you were in Portland. What were you doing in Portland? Because I lived in Salem for a while. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's so crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I just love how you can come like halfway across the world and then like meet people that have connections to where you're from. It's really bizarre. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's happened a lot here in Lisbon, actually. Really? Yeah. I've met two clients, two or three clients here that... I should have met in the States, but I never did. And then they came on vacation here and we hooked up and it was really, really cool. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Portland, I was living in for 14 years and I had a flower shop there. And um, that's where I really developed a lot of my, or kind of started digging into my flower career um, because I went there after university and yeah, I, I fell in love with Portland um, because I grew up in Olympia. Oh my gosh. I was born in Olympia. <laughs> <laughs> what? That, okay. That's crazy. Um, how long did you live in Olympia? I think I was there for like a year. Like my, I was okay. born and then we moved right after that, but my grandparents lived there. So every summer when I lived in Salem, I would go up and, and visit them and all through my childhood, I went to to Olympia 
to see my grandparents. And that's where I fell in love with cities was my grandmother, my Oma, took me to Seattle and I just absolutely fell in love with Seattle. Oh my so God. I spent a lot of time in Olympia. We were probably like best friends as kids <laughs> for a week and then <laughs> never saw each other again. <laughs> That is so funny. I I mean, you really do have like a lot of like deep connections to the Northwest. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Washington has a smell for me. Like it just smells cozy and I don't know. I really love Washington. It's beautiful. And I will admit, I do have a love hate with Washington. Um, uh-huh. It's a place I always wanted to get away from. But yeah, um, Olympia has that seaweed smell. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I hated that growing up. I thought it was disgusting. It smelled like seaweed and beer because then there was the Olympia Brewery, which my grandfather worked at for about 40 years um, in like the 40s and 50s, 60s. Um, And so it was just like, this town smells like seaweed and beer. And there's all (laughs) these hippies. Like, I cannot wait to leave. And I dreamt of traveling the world. You know, I just wanted to get away from that place. So um, I do have a lot of mixed feelings, but Washington's a beautiful place, actually. And the Northwest is incredible. So I love that you have those connections there. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't remember the seaweed smell because my... My family was in Lacey, which is outside oh. of the city. Yeah. So it's not exactly I'm, Olympia, but yeah. Yeah. But there, those, it's like Olympia, Lacey, and Tumwater. And it's basically yeah. the same city. I mean, because I went to Olympia High School and that's oh right next to Tumwater, I think. So yeah. That's so funny. For me, it smells like forest, not like seaweed, but I oh, totally okay. get it. <laughs> Yeah, it's also very foresty and mossy, which is yes. is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have that love hate with Oregon. I always oh. wanted to get out of Oregon. I didn't like living there. Yeah. So how long you were living in Salem? In Salem, yeah, which wasn't a great place to live in the '90s. I think it's even gotten worse. But yeah, it was not a great place to be a teenager. Oh, wow. I can imagine. I think that's something because I mean, that's really how I felt about Olympia. I think it's something about the capital cities in the US. And it's so funny because like Europeans, uh, they will not understand that like I come from a capital city, but it's actually a pretty small city, like Uh town, you know, because for Europeans, a capital city is a big city. Um, Yeah, that's true. And so they don't understand. So it's just, it's funny because I think like most of the time the capital cities in the U.S. are pretty lame. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we had a big drug problem in Salem. Oh, shoot. Okay. Okay. Now Olympia has that really, really bad. But anyway. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, because it's not cheery weather. And what else are you going to do? There was nothing to do. (laughs) It was so boring. But Portland was awesome and so charming and sweet and cozy. I liked Portland. It is. And it it started to really get fun and exciting like in the um, early 2000s. Um, oh, yeah. And that's when I really fell in love with it. And it felt like that's when all the food stuff was happening. Um, you know, I think it's really struggling now from what I'm hearing from friends, again, with a lot of homeless and drug problems and things like that. Um, yeah. So 
But yeah, Portland is nice because it has that combination. Like you feel like you're in a small town Mm -hmm. um, and then you have all this nature outside the city and everybody there really loves and values nature and they really love and value good food. And most of the people there are pretty down to earth and um, the community is really nice and you can sort of live there I mean, it's gotten more expensive, but I think one of the reasons why I stayed for so long is that, you know, it was a pretty reasonable cost of living. So you could live there as a creative or as an artist and kind of scrape by, you know, Um, and it was just such a supportive community of creative people. Yeah, I love that. And you had a flower shop, which I think is adorable. (laughs) What do you do now? How, what have you, how are you a digital nomad? with flowers. Yeah. So, I mean, right. It's kind of weird, but um, (laughs) everything has evolved over time for me. I mean, I started the flower shop when I was like 23 and I just dug right in and had no idea what I was doing. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I even went back. Well, I don't, I don't want to go into every detail, but I did go back to like the corporate world for two years after I closed my flower shop. And, um, that's when I started getting into styling and also social media. So my career really evolved into floral styling. And I've always done floral design, though. So even when I was working corporate, I was doing weddings on the weekends and things like that. So like the passion is just always there. And it's just really interesting how your career can evolve because I never imagined there would be something like social media or blogging. And in the beginning, it was just so organic. I wasn't starting it for money. I didn't even that didn't even cross my mind. So anyways, that evolved and I became like a commercial prop and floral stylist. So I was in addition to doing social media and kind of lifestyle design blogging, I was doing um, styling on set for photo shoots. But then about a year before I left Portland, a girl, Nicole uh, Garalot, who actually had kind of mentored me a little bit in photography, and she was a kind of a friend through this creative blogging world. She asked me if I wanted to do an online flower class. So I really credit her with this whole idea because I was like, how is that going to work? You know, and everybody (laughs) I talked to about it was like, how is that going to work? And it ended up doing really well. And so I was selling it like on her platform for for many years. And what happened is I really got burned out on styling because I was working in advertising. Mm -hmm. So I decided to kind of close that door and then um, just stick with all of the social media and online things that I was doing, developing content around flower arranging and teaching. So that's how I was able to just kind of leave Portland and then become a digital nomad. And I was always like foraging flowers along the way and developing content and taking photos. And at that point, my blog was kind of the central focus of everything I was doing as well. So that is incredible. I never knew that flowers had this following and this like business potential. (laughs) (laughs) They do. I, I, I don't want to give a false impression though. There's not a lot of necessarily money in the floral industry and most people do it out of love for it. Um, And then with the blogging, I really started out 
um, as a lifestyle blog. So it was like an inspiration board of everything I loved um, mm-hmm. as a stylist. It was everything from fashion to gardens to architecture to music, you know, just, but there was always that flower focus. And my readers knew that I was obsessed with flowers. So that was always there, but it was really through kind of this lifestyle lens. Yeah. How did you get into flowers? Were you into it as a kid? Like, how did flowers become your thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was obsessed since I was a kid and, you know, when I was, uh, okay. So for five years of my childhood, we lived in the countryside in, in New Hampshire and we had animals and gardens and I really connected a lot with nature there. And I think that's kind of my first memory of really falling in love with flowers. And then in middle school really is when I kind of got like full on obsessed Um, I was like, (laughs) I was (laughs) kind of a misfit, Um, but like, I was just really into like Little House on the Prairie and Jane Austen novels and Anne of Green Gables and all those sort of like romantic. Yeah, so cute. Yeah, all that kind of romantic literature and things like that. So there was a lot of connection to nature in those stories. Mm hmm. And I think that influenced me a lot. So I started reading a lot about English gardens and my parents and family members really encouraged that. So for my birthdays, I would get garden and flower books from my parents and also from um, one of my aunts. And so that just really propelled all of that along. And I spent most of my time like in high school in my garden, making herbal bouquets and um, growing a cottage garden. Um, and it was just a really cool time of kind of playing, you know, because when you're that age, you know, your parents are providing for you. So you do have that opportunity to kind of play and explore. And so I was just reading every book I could about flowers and gardens and yeah. And I did independent study in high school. So I kind of had like a more freestyle schedule for a couple of those years. So I really was just delving into flowers and gardens at that time. That is so sweet. I love that. So you mentioned a cottage garden. Well, what's a cottage garden? How is that different from just having flowers in the backyard? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. From what I understand, a cottage garden um, really is like a mix of everything. So you have the vegetables, the flowers, the herbs, and it's all mixed in together. And most everything in that garden is something you're using. So yeah, it's kind of like the Portuguese horta, you know, which are these like vegetable gardens you see everywhere. And some of them are supported by the city. And then others are what I call renegade gardens where people are just uh, tilling the earth and planting cabbages wherever they can, even if it's like next to a strip mall um, outside of Lisbon, (laughs) like on the train lines to Sintra. So um, that I find really inspiring. I love that sort of garden. And I always connect more with kind of the way that peasants lived in the past and the things that they did out of needs. And it was funny because the other day I had a realization, I was sort of just walking and peeking into people's gardens. And I'm really inspired by people making gardens out of seemingly nothing, like um, planting in barrels and and milk (laughs) jugs and things like that. And I had this sort of like weird moment where it was like, oh, like as a kid, I remember studying about all these amazing gardens in Europe, like the really formal gardens. And I always dreamt of visiting for those. And here I am living in Europe, but it's actually really more of the very, I mean, I love the amazing English, you know, formal gardens and and French formal gardens and that type of thing as well. But it's really these um, kind of raw 
um, gardens like the cottage gardens and the hortas that are just kind of born out of a need mm-hmm. and they're done so beautifully. And there's something so gorgeous about making a garden with what you have. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of more drawn to that now at this point, And I find that very inspiring. So. Yeah. It's like people crave the earth and they crave beauty and getting their hands in nature. So they just make it happen wherever they can, whether it's along the train tracks or whatever, they're like, nope, there's some land. I want to look at flowers. I'm going to put flowers there. (laughs) Exactly. And it's, it's gorgeous. I love that dedication. Yes, for sure. And I love the idea of the cottage gardens using everything. I, what I see in my mind is just kind of chaos, but it has a purpose and it's, you know, just things on top of each other, but they're all kind of growing together. Exactly. It can be kind of wild and messy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's so sweet. I love that. So now you teach people online, right? How to do flower arrangements. What do you teach people? Yeah, I I have a lot of online courses now. And this, it's funny, during quarantine, I've ended up developing three different um, floral design courses. Um, but I, I have like a basic uh, flower arranging class that has been the most popular one over the years. And it's just flower arranging 101. So I'm teaching people the basics of like how to work with cut flowers, mm-hmm. um, like how because there's a conditioning process. Um, and that's how you get the flowers to last, um, a long time in the vase. (laughs) Wait a minute. When I buy flowers, I just buy some that look pretty. And then I put them in a vase when I get home (laughs) and I might (laughs) cut the ends off to give them a fresh cut, but that's the effort that I go to. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good that you recut them. So it's things like, yeah, you have to recut them at a certain angle in order to get a wider surface. But there's more to it. Like I'm basic. Tell me more. (laughs) I'm not doing it right. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just, a matter of really making sure the flowers are hydrated. So it starts with like shopping for your flowers. And then also if you are harvesting them from your own garden, there's a certain time to do that. And then when you're shopping for flowers, I always tell my students like shop for your flowers, like you shop for vegetables. So you want to look for you know, they should smell good. You don't want to smell anything rotting and the leaves should be green and the blossoms should be pretty firm. So things like that. And then you have to hydrate them before you really start working with them because as you're working with the flowers, the body heat really kind of speeds up the aging process for the cut flower. So, um, yeah. So you like when you're working in a flower shop, um, you're always processing the flowers and letting them sit in water for several hours if possible before you are arranging with them. And you're always removing leaves too, because you don't want anything in the water because the, um, that'll cause bacteria to grow. Yep. Okay. So I'm doing a little bit right, but most, I don't arrange them. I just put them in the vase. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's okay. I mean, it really, um, I think where a lot of people go wrong with kind of the supermarket or farmer's market flowers. Um, and really I don't like to say there's a lot of right and wrongs, but, um, because flowers are just beautiful and they're, they're pretty as they are, but sometimes, um, what helps is to actually cut them down lower and that actually helps them last longer because the water has a shorter, um, area to move through. Oh, good tip. 
Yeah, and you really want some of the flowers or greens at the rim of the vase. I don't like to see a vase and then all these kind of stems just sticking up and then the flowers. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of go wrong with the the supermarket flowers. So um, just cut some of them down. Try to have different heights and try to have some leaves and some flowers at the base, at the rim of the vase. And try to have like the bulkier things kind of shorter and then the daintier, um, more airy items like can be a little bit taller. Oh my gosh. That's so cute. Okay. Well, I'm looking at my flowers now and as soon as we hang up, I'm going to fix them because (laughs) (laughs) I need to cut them shorter and I've got like six inches from the base to the flower. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, it's okay. But I mean, and sometimes it's just that playing. And even as florists, we always end up starting over. But I always tell students, they're like, how do I get started? You know, and I just say, start arranging at least one flower arrangement a week so that you can get used to working with flowers. One of the giveaways, like I can tell if people haven't worked with flowers a lot, is they're really afraid of the flowers. They're afraid to remove leaves. They're afraid to cut them. Uh And um, when you're a florist, (laughs) you are not dainty with flowers at all. Now, there there are a few florists I've worked with that maybe work a bit differently, but most florists, like we don't work with flowers in like a dainty sort of way. Like, we're, we're quickly ripping off the leaves, cutting the stems. And yeah. typically you're working pretty quickly in a flower shop. Um, in a traditional flower shop, you're working quite quickly. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one of the things, like if you are used to working with flowers, you're definitely not afraid of them. So Ah, I love this. Okay, that's really fun. Now, Chelsea, you mentioned something that we have to talk about because this is the Half Hippie Podcast and you said you didn't like the hippies in Olympia. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't let that slide. So tell me about that because there's no judgment here, of course, but like what was it about those hippies that you didn't like? Yeah, you know, and a lot of it might have had to do with just Olympia being so dark and... Uh um, (laughs) <laughs> the mood is not great. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like I just feel this oppression when I think about it and I'm not to diss Olympia because I, I went back there a couple of years ago from my grandmother's funeral and I really, I really like kind of like inhaled that seaweed smell and it made me really happy. So, okay. um, but okay. So yeah, the hippies, because in Olympia we have the Evergreen State College, which is like a very kind of fluid educational system. So it attracts a lot of free thinkers. And in the 90s, which is, I grew up in Olympia in the 90s. So like, it was a lot of hippies and a lot of grunge. Um, Those are kind of two different movements, but they were both happening there um, in a very intense way. And um, yeah, I don't like the sort of aesthetics or the presentation of that movement, especially at that time. Like I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of, you know, broomstick skirts and, um, and then also just kind of, well, it's so funny because I, I love your, your concept of this podcast and I really do identify with it because I do feel half and half, but the parts that I don't like are, yeah, mainly the presentation and kind of the smells and the, 
like when it gets pretty gritty. And I remember in high school, I was doing landscaping for a house of college students from Evergreen. And I didn't have any personal relationship with these people and they would have no idea who I was. I feel like I can sort of say this anonymously. Um, But anyways, so their house was disgusting and smelly and just, yeah, there was a smell there. I don't know. You don't need to be dirty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the dirty hippie situation. And um, what else is it that's just such a, I think it's also something in the communication. Like it's almost like um, a lot of those people were not here on earth with us. <laughs> okay. Yes. I don't know if you relate to this, but it's like, you couldn't just have, like, I actually like small talk and I like chatting with whoever and whatever. And I wasn't always like that, but, um, so I know, I know what sort of being aloof and being disconnected from everyday conversation is because I was very introverted growing up. However, it just feels like, yeah, a lot of those people were like not here with us. Like they're just off in some fantasy land and you can't have a normal conversation, if that makes sense, about just normal (laughs) everyday things. Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So great. (laughs) Yeah, I can totally picture it and what that conversation would be like. And you're like, dude, can can you just come back here with us? <laughs> Talk about yeah. the weather or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet part of me does understand that because I mean, I was very shy growing up and I yeah. was like, I mean, actually when I was up until I was three, I think like there was actually a doctor who asked my mom if I was me <laughs> because I was so shy and that lasted up through college. Yeah. I was, and no, even into my twenties, I was very, very shy. So, um, that's why I have a hard time like stopping talking right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm still making up for that time somehow. <laughs> That's cute. But what do you think, what do you think of hippies now? Like, what does it mean to you? Is it about the fashion or like the values? What What do you think about mm, hippies now? I still really don't like, there's still like a real negative reaction um, mm. when I encounter the big movements. Like, in fact, a few years ago when I was in England, I went to Glastonbury have you been there? No, I haven't. Okay. So they have like a big festival there every year. And there's a lot of like, I mean, that's kind of a, it's just so different in Europe because you have this whole history behind everything. So everything feels a little bit more legitimate, but um, it's got a lot of hippies and herb shops and crazy people dressed up in costumes. It reminded me of Olympia. And I was like, gosh, I can't, like, I'm just traveling all over the world and I can't get away from that, (laughs) you know? And so I still do kind of have that reaction, but then there's parts of it I love, you know, I mean, I, I grew up going to the herb shop because I needed to get the dried herbs to make my potpourri that I was always making in high school. Yeah. So, um, like, you know, I like the values of nature and, um, I actually, am like a huge nonconformist. So there's I know. so much of it that I do relate to, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's why it's so funny to me that you don't like it because you had your own schedule in school and you work with flowers and then you're like, I don't like hippies. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> exactly. And maybe that's kind of the privileged snobby part of me, you know, because I'm more like I aspired to kind of more preppy kind of ah, bougie yeah. things, you know? 
but I'm also very ragamuffin. Like I love, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think what I love about your podcast too, is that you're kind of talking about this contradiction. And I think that everybody feels like they don't belong. Mm -hmm. And, um, we all feel that like you talk to anyone and they're going to feel that nobody fits in a box. Nobody's a hundred percent hippie, you know? And I definitely feel that contradiction, um, because I have, friends from all walks of life. And I, I definitely have this kind of snobby part of me, but I'm also like, and I love fashion. I blogged about fashion for years, but when it comes to my everyday life, I just, I never wear makeup and I just don't have it in me to put together like a styled outfit. Like I just do like the linen flowy dresses. Um, and they're usually not ironed. So (laughs) I mean, I relate to that really laid back, like, yeah, I mean, I I actually just don't think I should have to wear makeup. So, but I do feel good when I wear it too. But anyway, so. (laughs) Yep. I totally get it. Yeah. That contradiction is really interesting. So. Exactly. Yeah. I know because fashion does play a role in like helping us feel better about ourselves, but we also don't want to have to do that. We should feel good about ourselves without it. It's true. It's such a fine line, you know, because Mm -hmm. when I do force myself to kind of dress up and wear makeup, I'm like, oh, wow, this feels good. And I do have that part of me that's like, oh, I'm going to be put together one day. Well, I've been saying that since I was 12 years old. (laughs) One day I'm going to be like this put together like woman that has like jewelry and like the bag and because I love fashion, but, um, I, when it comes down to it, I like nature more and I would rather be out in my linen dress, like foraging and like touching the wildflowers. And I'm like, I used to play in the mud when I was a kid. So I'm much more connected to the earth and I'm still like a little kid. You know, the other day I went like foraging in this field and was just like picking wildflowers and I just felt like a kid. And that's, that's a larger part of me, I guess. So. Yeah. And that's very hippie to go out and just get what you want from nature. Like that's so cool. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like nervous to go pick flowers outside. Like someone, like I'm going to get in trouble or something. I need to just do it. (laughs) I do have that part of me too. Um, especially as an immigrant. Uh Yeah. So I am careful actually. And I go to places that are like not private that are open and are abandoned. Um, there's definitely gray area there. (laughs) I did have a Portuguese boyfriend that was a little annoyed at me sometimes because I would push that boundary sometimes. But here's the thing too. So a lot of the kind of abandoned plots of land, because we have a lot in Portugal, especially once you get outside the city, right? Yeah. So a lot of those, they're cutting everything down kind of in August because of the fire hazard. And even with some of the abandoned houses and things like the families who own it are hiring people to come in and cut everything down. And it's just like, it's all going to get cut down anyways. And most of what I'm picking are weeds or some of them are invasive. So like, I'm doing you a favor by picking them. Like they're just going to come through with the weed eater a week later and take them all out. So yeah, I'm really careful, but yeah, there's actually a lot of old, older Portuguese ladies that forage. And, um, when I was, dating a Portuguese guy. Um, like I would go out to see his mom and she would like, we would pick flowers sometimes <laughs> together. And like, so she was cute. out there like, you know, taking flowers too. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so cute. 
just one more note about that too, is like, I'm not taking huge amounts from one area. So I'm picking a little here, picking a little there. So I'm not just like coming in and being like, this is all for me. And that's kind of just a foraging protocol that everybody follows. All the foragers kind of follow that. Like you just take a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So it's not noticeable that somebody was there and cut flowers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How is your work sustainable besides working with flowers? Is there some extra consideration for the environment? Like what's, what's the industry like, the flower industry? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, it's changing a lot, which is exciting. Um, so um, traditionally, the floral industry uses a lot of wire and um also, um, the biggest thing that was was traditionally used was um, floral foam. Oh, yes. Oh, I remember that. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people still use it. Um, and it's really, really bad for the environment. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the company that makes that is, from what I can see, is doing a lot of greenwashing and not helping the situation. Um so it's not biodegradable. From what I recently read, I think it takes something like 500 years to break down. Oh. Um, and I never liked flower foam, actually, because to me, it makes the arrangement look very stiff. And mm-hmm. um, But I would use it occasionally for large arrangements um, for weddings and things like that. Um, and I sure. do have one part of my classical course where I show people how to use it because I do think it's good to know how to use the classical tools because look, somebody may come up with a, a green alternative to that. Yeah. However, I, I've like the last, okay. So since around 2017, my style has really evolved and now I'm going full fledged into a completely sustainable floristry. Mm, I love yeah. that. I'm, I'm still occasionally using some copper wire and things here and there, but for the most part, I'm really trying to get back to the earth with floral design because think about it. It makes no sense to use synthetic materials to arrange flowers. Like that's actually, that shows how disconnected we are from nature that we think we need man-made materials to make flowers look good. Right. Think about that. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. So flowers are beautiful as they are. So um, yeah, so I, like in 2017, I ended up moving to Sintra and I really got into foraging there, uh, which is funny because I had people asking me to do foraged flower classes for a few years before that. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And even though I had always done that in my personal life, but there was kind of a disconnect. So anyways, I sort of started developing like a much more personal relationship with flowers again, where it was less about work and it was, it became like a meditation for me. So I started foraging. And then at the time, uh, I was being very resourceful. I was really, um, kind of just using what I had. So that's when I started kind of experimenting with some environmentally friendly techniques for reeds and flower arrangements. And because I was, I also couldn't get a lot of the normal floral supplies that I was used to because I was living out of the city and, you know, you can get them here, but I also don't use Amazon. So I don't just like order, (laughs) you know, it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to order it from Amazon. I just actually don't do that. And one thing I love about Portuguese culture, a lot of the friends I have here, they don't really use shipping. They don't use mail order. They buy things locally from mom and pop shops. Yep. 
And that's so Portuguese to just figure it out. You're like, I want to do floral arrangements and make it beautiful. How can I do that? <laughs> so yeah. Portuguese. So that was a fun challenge. You know, that was a really hard time for me, but it was actually where a lot of these, I came up with some of these, these new, new ideas and new ways I wanted to work. So that's amazing. Well, what's something that kind of frustrates you about the sustainability movement around flowers? Yeah. yeah, and I guess I didn't get, sorry, I'll just mention quickly because I didn't really get into like what is happening um, with other people too. I mean, I have my own thing I'm doing, but there's a real movement to um, grow flowers locally because one of the other things in addition to the floral foam is that flowers are shipped all over the world. A lot of them are farmed with questionable labor practices. A lot of flowers are actually dipped in pesticides. And I think a lot of people don't actually realize because they're like flowers, nature, I'm going to go to the flower shop and get some flowers. And it's like, actually, a lot of these flowers are very far from what nature intended them to be. And they've been hybridized until they have no fragrance. So there's a lot of things going on there. How can we know if we're getting good flowers that aren't using questionable labor practices? And Probably uh, like buying from a farmer's market is okay. really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like in I mean, just locally, for instance, like ask where the flowers are from, um, because I think it's really nice to support your local flower shop. So just ask them where they're getting their flowers. And um, like our main wholesaler in Portugal, she's growing her own flowers. They're not organic. I will say that they're not organic, but she is growing them here. And then we have an amazing organic flower farm. I think it's about an hour from Lisbon. So just do your research. And there's a huge movement for local flower farms now. In in the UK, they have a movement called Grown, Not Flown. And that's super cute. And there's tons of like flower farms. So people are really supporting that. And that's where I kind of come to the thing that frustrates me. And it's not really a huge deal, but um, it's the flower farming has become really trendy almost. Oh, okay. Like when I was 23 and opened a flower shop, nobody was really um, doing that. But now it's pretty common for young girls to start a flower farm or a flower shop, at least like when you're kind of looking at the industry and then looking on social media. Mm -hmm. And it's become kind of this romanticized thing. I love that I can hear your (laughs) your bells. I love that. It's so nice. I know. I think I should mute (laughs) (laughs) So it's become like... I think with Instagram, so many things have become image-based and that's where I have a huge contradiction too, because I was a stylist and I love imagery and I love photography and creating beautiful imagery, but there's kind of a downside to that as we all know, because we all know the mental health, you know, situation with Instagram and and what that does to us sometimes. Um, And so you have that with a lot of like the flower movement and um, people don't realize that actually being a florist, you're normally wearing like dirty jeans and your fingernails are caked with dirt. <laughs> and um, you're up at three in the morning going to the market, hauling all these flowers. Usually like you have got like a bucket of water, like splashes all over you at one point. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. During every day, like it's physical labor. It's not like we have all these images and I'm guilty of perpetuating this too. Like I'm not here judging people. Okay. Like I'm saying this is also what I'm doing. Um, 
but I feel like there is kind of a lot of untruth in this imagery. Um, and you know, I was a stylist, so I know about like creating imagery for advertising and how that's sort of creating a lie because I always loved like the, well, I actually liked the challenge (laughs) of like, okay, let's take this mediocre product that I don't really think is that exciting and try to make it look cool, you know? Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of kind of lies in imagery really. Um, so what's happening with like flower farming and things like that. I think that the people who were always doing this are kind of ignored. Like, um, in, in 2000, I started going to the Portland flower market and they have an amazing association called Oregon flower growers association. So there's a whole section of the market that is only locally grown flowers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's been going on forever. So Mm -hmm. I think it's always funny with social media, how you have these trends come in. It's almost like, oh, no one was ever growing flowers locally before. And now we are. And look at us. And it's usually kind of like white privileged people who are like, look, I'm a flower farmer now. And it's like, but wait, like, (laughs) these people have been doing that forever. And it may not, they may not present it in this like, sexy, Mm -hmm. image-based way, but they've actually been doing this hard work and running a successful business for many years. So I just think it's important not to overlook the people who have always been doing these things and we can still learn from them. And maybe they weren't growing organically, but they were growing flowers locally and we were all supporting it because that was the best product at the market. Mm -hmm. You know, the stuff that was flown in, that was fun too, and sometimes exotic. But the local product was the most amazing and and still is. So I love the flower farming movement, but like, let's make it inclusive and let's not act like we're better than anyone. And I'm saying this to myself, too, and that like I need to be conscious of I don't even know how to do that. (laughs) I don't know. It's just it's I guess it's about not ignoring ignoring people and not acting like this is exclusive. And and we have that in the organic food movement too, where it, it became this exclusive thing. And I guess, you know, going back to the earth is not exclusive. It's not for rich people. <laughs> Flowers are for everyone, you know? Yes. <laughs> That's so compassionate. I love that answer because yeah, people have been doing it before it became shiny and Instagram worthy. Mm. Thank you. Exactly. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> yep. And sometimes people are doing, like they're growing things organically, but they're not certified organic because it's expensive to be certified, which makes no sense to me. But anyway, it's expensive to be certified. And maybe those guys were growing, you know, organically or they were doing what companion planting and kind of just being more in nature because they don't want to be smelling all those chemicals and pesticides when they're working either. So I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. That's such a good point. That's such a good Mm -hmm. point. I think a lot of the food here in Portugal might be organic. It's just not labeled organic. I don't know. I mean. Exactly. I mean, I do think even compared to the U.S., because from what I understand, um, there's just a lot more regulation here in terms of chemicals, even in like makeup products and things like that. Um, From what I understand, it's like there's so many more Um, harmful chemicals that are banned by the EU that are completely okay in the U.S. So I think there's a lot of a lot of contrast there as well. So even if they're using some chemicals, they may not be as bad as what they're using in the U.S. But, you know, don't don't quote me on that. I don't know. (laughs) No, that's true, though, that, 
yeah, the chemicals and stuff are a lot more regulated here, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's something you wish you were doing better for the planet? Um, right now, my biggest thing, because I, I just want to say that I'm a total hypocrite. You know, sometimes <laughs> when it comes down to everyday life, we do what's most convenient. And that's why it would be really nice if um, com- large companies and governments actually really acted on all of these issues to make it easy for us. Yes. Um, but I'm really struggling with not being able to compost. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because with the floral work, there's a lot of stems and leaves and things like that. And I do try to, um, so, you know, there's two parts of compost. You have your food scraps and then you have like your leaves and branches and things like that. Um, the food scraps are the most difficult part, right? Because you can't just go dumping those places. Yes. Um, but the branches and leaves and things like that. I had a friend, um, Chrissy Deterney. She's an environmental consultant who comes to Lisbon sometimes. And she told me, you know, you could just cut those up in small pieces and put them in a park. So I do try to do that I with just the flower scraps. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not always able to do it, you know, because again, as an immigrant, I don't want to get in trouble for (laughs) illegal dumping somewhere, but, um, I do try to put them back in, in the earth. There's like some abandoned fields here. So sometimes I will just cut them up small and put them there. And then I was trying to do a balcony compost at the beginning of quarantine when I had a little more time on my hands. (laughs) But, okay, let's be real. That that became really overwhelming. I was so proud. It actually worked. You know, I was composting in a small bucket with food scraps and everything. And oh after gosh. a month or so, like, I had this beautiful, rich soil. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it actually did work. But the food scraps are very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I saw now that there's, like, a machine from the Vitamix people that will actually create, like you put your food scraps in it and it dries them out and it breaks them down. Obviously that's taking electricity, but, um, that's really interesting to me because when you're in an apartment, it's very, it just, it makes me feel sick to my stomach to put food scraps in the garbage. I know. Yeah. That's most of my garbage is food scraps. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same here, especially like, and then if you're using a lot of the citrus and things like that. And it smells real quick. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And whereas like if you have a backyard or you live in the country, it's just such a no brainer. You just have a pile and you can put it all there and turn it and just make sure that you've got equal parts, you know, the brown and the green are balanced out. Um, Like composting isn't that hard, but you just need space to do it. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's a good answer. And I wish I could do that too. Cause like I said, that's most of my trash is the food scraps. Yeah. And I do have a friend, like, it's funny because I started composting and I was doing it in a renegade way with like buckets and and whatever I had. But this other friend, she actually bought like a balcony composter and I think that's working for her pretty well. Okay. Um, I need to check back with her and see how that's doing. So maybe I'll get something like that in the future. Okay. That's a good goal. Let's think about how we can make that happen. I know in Lisbon there, they do have a composting system that they're kind of spreading to some of the different neighborhoods. It's so exciting. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really anxious for that to roll out. Yeah, yeah. I see that it's happening in some neighborhoods, um, but they're saying it's going to take five or six years to roll out or something. Yeah, probably. But 
like, I'm not going to carry my food scraps up a hill. <laughs> like I need it okay. in my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. It, it, it. That's the hugest part. You know, we're so, so judgmental of each other. But, yeah, but um, we're all in some sort of survival mode, right? It's so true. <laughs> it's always the first thing to go yeah. is the environmental concerns. That's so. true. Well, that's bad timing for my next question, but are you optimistic <laughs> for the future of like sustainability and climate change and stuff like that? Um, it depends on the day because <laughs> you definitely have those days where you look at the news and it feels like everything is ending and it's scary. And I'm so scared for my nieces and nephews. At the same time, I think like we have to be hopeful or we don't have anything to kind of fuel our actions. Yeah. And it is so exciting. Like when I got that compost going, I was so excited and so proud and right. it felt so good. So that kind of thing sort of spurs me on. And then I think really just kind of hunkering down and being able to like focus on what I can do in my industry and really to kind of get that system flushed out because now it's still such a it is a little bit of a new thing for me to be working in this way. Mm. And now I'm teaching it to other people. And that gives me hope and also inspires me to like really flush out my systems there and really get everything in order so that it's like, okay, this is the way I work. And this is the system I have around that. This is the method. This is the technique. And then being able to pass that on to other florists, that's like really hopeful um, that we can actually change the industry and change how even flowers are viewed. One thing I'm working on right now, too, is um, just the way we approach flowers because um, we expect them to look perfect and not have brown petals. And mm -hmm. that's completely unnatural. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the book I wrote, I, it's like, I have flowers that are kind of wilting and they have spotted petals. And it's that same idea of kind of the food movement where we started embracing ugly fruit. And I want people to embrace flowers in their natural state and that it's actually not really natural for a flower to last three weeks in the vase yeah. <laughs> with like perfect petals. That's actually kind of scary, you know, and the expectation that we have around what cut flowers should be. I'm trying to kind of change that a little bit. And I think that will take a lot of time. But anyways, those sorts of things really give me hope and being able to really niche down and focus on, okay, what can I do in my industry and my life and really focus there. I think with social media now, there's so much judgment mm -hmm. and because we're projecting of like everything we know we're doing wrong, we like to project it onto other people. So yeah, um, I have to constantly remind myself is like, look back in the mirror, look at yourself and um, what can you change? And there's so much power when you, when you can change. And that's where like the hope comes in because it really does, when you make those changes, it really does fuel hope. And it's like, oh, if more people knew about this, um, if I can do it, other people can. So. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you're doing this work. That's amazing. What a good point that we can do a little bit ourselves personally, or more than a little bit, and then also extend it to our industry. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, and a lot of it, like you've talked about too, is getting off social media and just, okay, what am I doing here with my life? What can I do instead of like posting a, a meme about it online? So, yes, exactly. <laughs> I try to like 
if I post a meme or if I post something about an issue, I have to also take action on that issue and contact somebody or write to, you know, like I have to do something. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's such a good personal policy to have. Yes, it's a personal policy. Yeah. Um, Hang on. You mentioned a book. Tell us more about your book. Oh, yeah. So I have a flower arranging book that is knock on wood (laughs) coming out um, March 2nd. It was delayed because of um, coronavirus. Uh, So it's supposed to be out in September. So I actually wrote it um, the summer of 2019. And um, it's all about flower arranging and bringing flowers into your space. So it goes room by room and gives you different um, flower arranging projects for every room. Like, so it has some projects for your bedroom with flowers that will help you sleep better. And then um, like how to bring edible flowers into your kitchen. So it's just, it's really about living this sort of flower focused life that um, I really delved into. Um, This is like all been kind of inspired by um, just some personal things I was living through in 2017 and it's a flower arranging book. Don't worry. It's not going to be, <laughs> it's not going to have personal details, but, um, it just comes from such a personal place. So I can't disconnect that. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm really excited about it. And like I said, it talks a lot about, it's all natural flower arranging. I think there's one project that uses copper wire, but everything else is done with, um, biodegradable twine and it teaches you how to forage it also teaches you like a lot of basics about flower arranging, um, you know, just how to shop for flowers and how to support your local florist, um, where to find flowers, how to condition. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big resource book. So, and I photographed it, styled it, wrote it. (laughs) I did all the things in four months. I think it was four months. That's incredible. I cannot wait for this because well, especially during quarantine, it's been so comforting to have plants in the house and flowers. And anytime I want to feel special, I go buy myself some flowers. So I, I love can, that. yeah, I can see how having a floral arrangement in each room does something different for that room and makes you feel better. It really does. I mean, and when I talk about kind of this experience in 2017, basically I was living in this rustic Portuguese house and kind of starting from scratch again. And so the flowers were really the decoration in the house. And I just, and then I was growing edible flowers. And it was one of those moments in my life where it was just really all about the flowers. And it really inspired this book because it is proven that flowers boost your mood, they fight depression, like having that color and fragrance. And I know a lot of people are really into indoor plants now too, which is wonderful. And I like to have both. Like if you have kind of darker, areas in your house that get no light, that's a great place for cut flowers because cut flowers, they want to be away from the light. They will last a lot longer if you have them in like a dark, cool corner. Mm, Okay. Yep. That's good. So yeah. Perfect. Oh, I'm excited for your book and your classes. Thank you so much for talking with us. Oh, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast and I'm excited to see you in person and have a cup of tea together. I know, me too. I can't wait. We'll make that happen soon. Well, I've got to tell you, after recording this podcast, I've taken a couple of Chelsea's classes online and they are so fun. 
We made flower crowns and did a flower arrangement. So many fun things. So definitely follow her on Instagram at Frolic Blog or at Frolic Flower School uh, for so many good things. She is so fun and passionate about flowers. And I think flowers just make us all happy. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon.